sales has to be in this conversation and there's nobody better than the SDR role. So I wrote this article called Account-Based Sales Development, a new methodology in outbound sales development, and it stuck. And it resonated with everyone that was, you know, doing bits and pieces of this. Uh, and the real big kind of new thing, uh, it wasn't just the technology uh, and access to individuals, um, you know, in a data provider. It was the simple act of taking some time, doing some research, and personalizing the outreach to the person, to the industry that they're in, and the problem that you're technology you believe can help them solve. Behind the scenes, it was a small group of people that were doing everything. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I want to know how this insane growth actually happened. What are you doing when no one's around, no one's looking? Are you just showing up and doing the minimum? Or are you approaching it like a pro? To be a student of the game. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to the GTM pod. I'm your host, Scott Barker. Thank you all for the feedback and support thus far. It has been really our pleasure. Uh, we've had some incredible guests. My job has been incredibly easy because of our guests, and it's not stopping. We got a lot of great go-to-market execs coming on, founders and VCs lined up to tell their stories. My promise to you as your host uh, to the listener is to work hard to find out the real stuff, the real stories, what actually worked, what did not work, and how things actually went down. Uh, you can send in questions as well. So I want to remind everyone that you can send your questions to questions at gtmfund.com. We'll actually answer them live on future episodes. But I'm pumped Super pumped right now. If you've been in SaaS or the tech landscape for more than a few years, you've heard the name of this next guest. He's someone who I have learned a ton from. He's been incredibly kind in taking me under his wing and showing me the ropes. I'm joined by Mr. Lars Nielsen, my world traveling guy, the man everyone wants at their dinner parties. Lars, how are you doing, brother? <laughs> Barker! I'm doing. I'm great. Uh, it's always fun to catch up with you and connect uh, wherever that is, whether it's at a dinner in Austin or it's uh, walking around the Saster, you know, conference. Um, I love bumping into you and all the people that we've met together. So uh, excited to do this. Hell yeah, man! Or on your boat. Thanks for having me on your your boat. That was uh, that was a beautiful day. A lot of fun. But you've been all over the place lately. How were the How were the travels? Yeah. And again, most of it is business. Uh, we're surging over here at Snowflake and just hitting the accelerator as we, as the world goes through this. Uh, I don't know why people are calling it a downturn. It's not necessarily for us over here. And I'm very blessed. I'm about to receive my new headcount for next fiscal year. And I'm hiring in nine different cities, you know, six different countries, three continents, and so I'm, I'm traveling to go out and meet my team, um, making sure that I set up uh, interviews for not only frontline leaders, but second line directors. And so just back from Denver late last night, uh, spent last week in our Amsterdam office. And this coming weekend, I'll be heading out to Singapore, uh, where we are surging in our APJ region. So there's a lot of excitement globally at Snowflake. And 
the fact that I get to travel the world searching for SDRs and SDR leaders is a, a true blessing for sure. Very cool. And I'll have to get your tips on Singapore when you come back, because Max and I are actually, funnily enough, planning planning a trip out that way. Uh, but for the listeners who haven't put it together yet, Lars is the VP of Global Sales Development at Snowflake. Uh, just quick back backstory, you know, prior to Snowflake, Lars was the CEO of SalesSource Premier RevOps Consulting Forum, uh, Firm. Sorry. Before that was the VP of Global Inside Sales for Cloudera. Lars and his team at Cloudera developed the sales methodology known as account-based sales development, which truly has transformed how businesses approach high-value targets. It was what I was taught coming up. It is an integral part of most teams' playbooks today. So we're going to touch more on that later on when we get to the story section. Uh, but Lars has also served in sales exec roles at ArcSight, uh, Hewlett-Packard, Riverbed Technology, and Portal Software, uh, all three of which achieved IPOs, which is incredible. And in addition to Cloudera, Snowflake, all the IPOs, uh, you began your sales and your management career at Xerox, um, which... If you've been in sales, you know they have this kind of world-renowned Xerox management training program. And maybe that's a good place to start. So you're having this big hiring surge. I know you also just created this, uh, developed this SDR Academy, which I've been, it's like the Harvard of, of SDRs. Did your time back at Xerox influence why it was so important for you to create this academy at Snowflake? Absolutely. In fact, it is modeled after my own onboarding training and enablement period when I joined Xerox in 1989 as a you know recent graduate of UC Santa Barbara. And they put me through an 11-month onboarding program. So from the ground up, they taught me how to present, uh, how to handle objections, how to negotiate, how to close, all the skills that you want and need uh, in order to start your selling career. Um, doesn't have to necessarily be in technology, but they figured out that um, the things you can teach, young, energetic people coming out of college or just wanting to change their career. You do not have to go to college to learn how to sell. And Xerox and another company, IBM, back in the 70s and 80s, got this right, um, where they took younger in their career people and develop them. And all they were looking for, which is the same thing I'm looking for today, is someone that has that self-starter, self-motivator mentality. Um, some people call it grit. Um, I call it fire in the belly. I would much rather have someone that doesn't already have habits, whether they're bad or good. I'd rather them come onto my team and have me shape them, develop them, mentor them, coach them from the ground up in what really good looks like, and then let them and their fire in the belly take over and, uh, you know, give them a comp plan, give them a manager, give them uh, a, a team that has culture, and then let them go. The Snowflake Sales Development Academy is absolutely built on what I got 37 years ago when I graduated, which was an onboarding experience that I will never forget. And it wasn't just the onboarding, enablement, and training, but when I left that 
period of time and went back to my team, what I received also was literally one of the best frontline managers I have ever had still today. Bruce Roberts, out of the, I don't know, 15 to 20 leaders I've worked for, still today stands as the most caring and person who helped develop me. Um, and my team, uh, I came onto a team of nine uh, individuals, and it was an unbelievably diverse team at the time with women, people of color, myself, uh, all working together. And that I don't think companies necessarily provide onboarding training, unbelievable frontline leadership, executive leadership that is second to none. And I think young people going into the workforce today should be looking for those things. We, uh, Scott, you and I both know that companies, it's really hard to not only find the right people, but then to create an experience where not only are you developing them, but you create loyalty and you want them to stay and continue uh, working hard for you and your company. So with that in mind, everything that I learned at Xerox informed what I wanted to do with the Snowflake Sales Development Academy. Kudos for you making the, the investment in that and giving people the opportunity that that you had. Uh, and, you know, something you said there, I don't think it's a coincidence either that you had your best frontline manager after going through this rigorous training, because if you've invested a lot of time, resources and money in training someone, the relationship you're going to have with that person is different because you're already so invested. So I think that it just breeds better practices just across the entire organization of leaders being more invested in their folks well past the academy too. There's no no doubt about it. I mean, and we, we read about it every day on MS, on Modern Sales Pros and on LinkedIn and that younger people going into technology today, they want to be developed. They want to be mentored. They want to be coached. Um, and I think it's the one thing that... Uh, uh, breeds loyalty. You know, there's a the the grass may not always be greener, and we often see people that get lured away by higher OTEs or maybe by a title, and uh, they're looking uh, for a way to move up very quickly in their career. And you can do that; you can play that game. But at some point in your career, you're gonna have to stay somewhere and prove that you can build, that you can perform, that you can execute. And you can't do that, you know, six months here, nine months there, you know, 15 months somewhere else. Um, I think at some point you have to dig in. And my suggestion to all the listeners that are either thinking about a job change or they're just about to get into their first role in any company is look for the company that has set up an operation where you honestly and truly believe they're going to develop you. And they have those resources. And again, when I brought Travis Henry, my right-hand master sergeant uh, operator, he has single-handedly and with the team that he is building created this onboarding enablement uh, experience for our uh, incoming SDR SDRs here at Snowflake. The, as a frontline manager, oftentimes that enablement and onboarding falls on you. In addition to hiring and performance managing and all the things that frontline leaders have to do, we've taken that away from the frontline manager and handed that over to a very professional organization 
that can, you know, uh, has purpose built a, a training specifically for the sales development rep. Not for the AE or the SC that often companies will throw their SDRs into an onboarding experience that is more built for them. The one at Snowflake is uh, purpose built for the SDR. So all the tools, all the technologies, all the playbooks, motions are all very specific to what you're going to be doing as an SDR when you get out of our onboarding training or out of the Snowflake Sales Development Academy. Well, I certainly hope more tech companies follow your lead. And we could probably spend the rest of this episode, you know, talking through that because I do have a lot more questions, but there is just too many topics that I want to discuss with you today. And usually at the beginning of this, we do a little topical tech news section. I'm scrapping that because I want all the time I can with you. And as I was sitting down to think about what I really wanted to talk to you about and and what are the superpowers of, of Lars Nielsen and, and how can we share those with, with listeners? And there was two things that popped into my head and I would love to talk about both of them. So we're going to squeeze in two stories if we can into this episode. So number one was drawing from my personal experience. You know, I started my career as an SDR, as many others in tech have. It has long been a way for folks without technical experience, without the fancy schools to break into tech, uh, which can be truly life-changing. And it certainly was for me. And you had a large hand in really the creation of that role, or at the very least, you know, you put it on this pedestal and made it an integral part of every revenue engine, or at least most revenue engines. So I'd love to talk through that and how that all came to be at Cloudera. So that that's one. And then the second one I would love to get to, and this is more of a, a personal one, but I remember watching you many, many years ago when I was still finding my footing in this SaaS landscape world. Who do I want to be? How am I perceived? And it was at a a dinner in, in SF, you know, a lot of incredibly talented folks were there and you had this ability to bring together the room. And I remember kind of being in, in awe of it. And it was through storytelling and it was also through you holding space for other folks to share their stories. So in the latter half of this discussion, I'd love to talk through how that all came to be, maybe the first time you actually had the courage to be that person. It's hard to be that person. And a little bit about maybe your methods for, we'll call it commanding a room or or holding space in a room is maybe a better way to put it. Because it's certainly a superpower that I know a lot of executives and a lot of founders strive to be, but, but have difficulty, you know, maybe actually pulling off. So we'll get to that one. But let's start with number one, you know, the formation of the account-based sales development methodology at Cloudera. How did that all come to be? Yeah, so I love talking about this. And oftentimes when I'm in front of a group, I'll ask the question of the group, uh, what they think the hardest part of closing any deal is, right? We're all, whether we're venture-backed or we're starting a business or we're scaling a business or we're a public company trying to continue to uh, grow our business, um, it turns out that, Uh, One of the 
biggest predictors um, of the success you're going to have is the amount of pipeline that you build um, in order to cover your monthly, quarterly, yearly number. Um, and everyone always talks about, you know, what is the coverage, uh, pipeline coverage you have? Is it 1x, 2x, 3x? And of course, that all comes from prospecting. And the art of prospecting for many, many years, many decades uh, has been the space of an account executive. A lot of companies didn't have, you know, SDRs didn't, re outbound SDRs didn't really exist uh, 10 to 20 years ago. It's been developed by uh, many of us here in the Valley, in fact. But if you think about a, a quota carrying account executive and what they like doing and, and nothing, love doing nothing more than is to close a deal. Uh, in order to do that, you got to sell, you got to negotiate, you got a multi-thread, you know, consensus sell, you know, stakeholders everywhere. And the art uh, and the dance that is the sales cycle is what every AE wants to do. Um, but in order to get there, they have to find that deal to work on. And that is the painstaking work of uh, cold calling, cold emailing, prospecting. And um, about 23 years ago, I was at a company called Portal Software, and I got asked uh, by my VP of sales to build uh, a team of people that could take over the prospecting for the account execs. He realized just how much he was paying them and how much of their time was spent prospecting. It was literally, we were a young company, 80% of a, an AE's time at that point was prospecting and only 20% selling. And he just realized if I can get my sellers more productive um, and give them pre-qualified meetings, then everyone wins. Um, and that was 1997, so way ahead of its time. And it worked. Uh, I built this outbound team. And at the time, it was called telemarketing. And I will never forget, I had five people at the time, and they came into my office one day. We had offices back then. And they asked me and wondered why we had marketing in our title when we were reporting into sales. I didn't have a very good answer. And they said, well, why don't we change it? And that is when we changed our name. Um, and we, we, we went back and forth between SDR, ADR, LDR, and BDR. And the one that stuck with that group at the time was account development representative. And then ever since, I've just gotten enamored with that outbound prospecting, generating interest, generating people that raise their hand that say, yeah, I'll take a meeting and developing the role of the outbound SDR. And what happened at Cloudera, and this is going on 10 years now, uh, I'll never forget it. I was trialing outreach as an outbound sales engagement platform technology. At the time, we were using uh, a combination of both Yesware and ToutApp. At the same time, I'd gotten my hands on an inbound lead to account matching platform called Lean Data. And we were just making the, the, the drive to go from kind of a geog geographic based uh, coverage model to a very intentional account based model at Cloudera. And then we were really leveraging both uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator and at the time discover.org, which is now Zoom Info. And with these three technologies and a little bit of creative juice thrown in at the personalization of these outbound you know, sales engagement sequences that, they were, that we were launching out of outreach, 
into accounts that we had decided as a sales and marketing team that we wanted to go after. And with LinkedIn Sales Navigator having access to look at the profiles and the backgrounds of the people we were targeting, we just started doing this kind of very intentional, deliberate, focused, personalized outreach. And overnight, we saw, you know, not just open rates, but reply rates go from single digits to double digits. And um, I literally had the kind of that moment. Uh, what's that movie with Tom Hanks, um, the sport agent, where he writes the manifesto? Um, I just had to write about it. And I remember John Miller, the former uh, founder of Marketo, had written a story called Fishing with Spears. And it was his take on the modern version of account-based marketing. And when I read that article, I recognized that we were doing what John was talking about, but we were using sales engagement technology and the SDR team to do focused one-to-many personalized at scale outreach. And so I got a meeting with John and I said, John, I've, you know, I know that you might be one of the fathers of modern account-based marketing, but I've got a slightly different take that uses sales development reps and this, this engagement technology called outreach. And he's like, he, and he read the kind of the, the white paper that I wrote and he completely endorsed it and said, you know, I'm, not that he missed something, but I think sales has to be in this conversation and there's nobody better than the SDR role. So I wrote this article called Account-Based Sales Development, A New Methodology in Outbound Sales Development, and it stuck. And it resonated with everyone that was, you know, doing bits and pieces of this. Uh, and the real big kind of new thing, uh, it wasn't just the technology, uh, and access to individuals, um, you know, in a data provider, it was the simple act of taking some time, doing some research, and personalizing the outreach to the person, to the industry that they're in, and the problem that your technology you believe can help them solve. And it just it changed the game overnight. And all of a sudden, an SDR with the power of sales engagement could do one-to-many, just like marketers were using marketing automation, but they were doing one-to-many in a watered-down fashion. We were doing one-to-many in a hyper-personalized way that spoke to these individuals, you know, more than a watered-down message that they could tell was coming, you know, from a, from, from a system somewhere. So that's kind of how, how it all started. And I'll, I'll never forget the call I got from uh, Manny Medina all of a sudden leads started coming into outreach and the same thing with Evan Lang because in this paper I very prominently displayed the technology we were using which was you know lean data mashed up with outreach mashed up with LinkedIn sales navigator mashed up with discover.org and uh, I kind of put that put this out into the world and it caught fire and and now of course all of us are trying to reiterate, on, on that model and the kind of the really cool thing that's come along um, the way is sending platforms to make it uh, even more engaging on the one-to-one. So anyway, uh, I'll pause there because I have a tendency to go all over the place, but uh, that's kind of how it all started, uh, Scott. I never get tired of hearing that story. It's cool that the inception, I guess my question was going to be, and you were actually kind of naturally going there, was 
so that was then. And now this function and the way of doing things has proliferated, you know, across the tech landscape. Also, simultaneously, the revenue technology category has exploded. And I guess my question is, have you kept it simple? Have you have you layered on more complexity? Is there a lot more to your tech stack? How has it evolved since those cloud era days? So, um, yeah, I mean, it has, I mean, sending has come into play. Social touches um, have come into play. But I think uh, an enterprising SDR that um, takes a few sequences that some of their colleagues have used and performed with, um, as they start to grow and mature in their role and realize how all this technology comes together, they start to realize that the personalization is where really they get traction with their target persona or the title that they're going after. And the more that they spend doing research, trying to figure out what might resonate, because you and I, we all get uh, inbound cold calls and emails every day, but it's the person that goes the extra mile that I can tell goes the extra mile. And for me, what gets me always is somebody that they have triangulated that knows me really well, that they have gotten a hold of and gotten their endorsement to make a connection to me. Because I will do someone that I know that I respect solid. So if that SDR triangulates that Scott Barker knows me and they have a a line into you, they may use you to get to me. I, I love when people go the extra mile because you're going to provide context for me or you're going to say, hey, Lars, um, I just got outreach from Jenny over at Gong and uh, she's identified you. Uh, we worked together two years ago and she would really uh, appreciate and I think you could help her out. You knowing me, knowing that yeah, I would be in line for a gong-like conversational intelligence tool. And so you're doing her a solid. You think you might be doing me a solid, but I'm going to do you a solid by taking that call because I know that they did their work to get to you in order to get to me. So few degrees of separation, it's really hard to do well. Uh, but I think that personalization and where SDRs take the extra time and do the research to make a more personal connection is what wins. Agreed. Personalization, looking for those warm intros, those referrals, doing the work to to make it easy for the person who's maybe making the introduction, like write out, hey, here's here's why exactly I think I should be talking to to Lars. And I'm a a huge proponent of, of now, you mentioned social touches, uh, SDRs, even if you're fairly young in your career, you can start building your your network and, and your network is something that goes on with you, you know, forever. So you can do that through content, through going to events, through networking. And I think that kind of bleeds perfectly into this next topic that I wanted to talk to you about. And that is, you know, we'll all have moments when you're, in the right room, you're with the right people. Maybe you are an SDR that somehow got there, or you're a founder, or you're an executive. And, you know, we all hope to 
have an impact on the people around us. And I think, Lars, you do a great job of not only having an impact, but also making others in that room feel heard so that they leave and they're like, wow, that was a special night. And I guess I want to use some of this last time to understand how you do that, hear some stories and and how you had the courage to kind of have that and hold that presence. Yeah, well, I, so uh, Gunnar Nilsson and Agneta Nilsson, uh, that's my mom and my dad. Uh, and I had the privilege to watch both of them. I still get to watch uh, my mother do this, but uh, they immigrated from Stockholm when I was a, a kid. And I got to see them as immigrants in the United States with accents, with not the normal background. Um, and again, I grew up in Southern California, but every at every turn, I got to see my father get up in front of a group, whether it was a dinner, whether it was at work. And I always heard stories about how he got up and involved people. And I remember being embarrassed when he did it at like my eighth grade graduation, because I didn't understand what that he was proud of me and wanted the world and my friends and their parents. But I remember being a little bit embarrassed uh, when I was younger, when my dad got up and spoke because I didn't, I was like, well, that's shining on me. And, but then, you know, as you grow up and you mature, and I remember, I think I was, it was later in high school and it was at a party. And I remember wanting to thank the parents because I had a really, really good time. Um, and I just, took after my father and appeared not to be afraid and, you know, took a spoon to a glass, got everyone's attention and really just wanted to thank the host. Uh, and then I also ended up, you know, saying some words about my friend whose birthday it was. And I got my first positive reinforcement. And it came from that parent that I thanked, double backing, calling my parents and saying, oh my God, I can't believe your son. He's so mature. And and I remember my parents coming to me, and again, I'm 17, and they're like, what'd you say? And I remember getting my first positive reinforcement, like, okay, maybe I was a little bit nervous, but wow, uh, in one fell swoop, I made someone that I didn't realize uh, proud of what I had done, who then called my, anyway. Um, so that was kind of the story. And then ever since, um, I lost my my fear of getting up in front of people. And I've also seen other people get up and create that kind of community and that safe space for being able to share an experience or just a, just a simple thank you. And I often get people, so you're not the first to ask me about this, Scott. And so I've thought about it many times, but I have to give all the credit to my parents whom I saw do this again and again and again. Um, and so, and I also got to hear other people afterwards go, oh my God, that Gunnar Nilsson, he's just such a charismatic and he's just made me feel so good. So I got to hear that uh, in the background. And today, you know, at 56 years old and after a 37 year career and all the mistakes that we've all made in startup land and some of the successes we've had, right, it's my turn to give back. And, you know, I was a passenger, you know, taking as much as I could early in the early days, taking from all the things that Xerox gave me and all the onboarding and management trainings that I had uh, and taking from my mentors and other companies. But, you know, 
now it's my turn to give back. Um, and so I do. I try to mentor and coach and develop anyone that comes in my way that, that wants it. And whenever I'm in a situation where a group of people have gathered, I think it is an opportunity for anyone at the right moment towards the latter part of it to get up and just, you know, give a moment of thanks. And what I try to do also, Scott, and you've seen me do this, is where I might get people's attention and bring them together. It is never more impactful than when other people, because everyone has a different perspective and a different take. Um, get an opportunity to do the same. So I will often start a situation where I've brought people together to listen to a moment of thanks, but I'll also then try to hand it off. And there's always someone there that is willing to take it because they feel moved at the time to give thanks or to create uh, and tell a story that uh, could be helpful to someone else. And uh, you've done that incredibly well. I've actually, I, re I remember bumping you a few times and whether you were nervous or not, you took the challenge, got up, and left everyone with a memory. And that's really all you're doing, I think, is leaving someone with a memory of thanks. Um, and as long as it comes from a cool, authentic, vulnerable, open, connected place, everyone's going to appreciate that. Um, but again, Gunner, you know, he's up there. Uh, I wish he could listen to this part because uh, it, it was all Gunner uh, in what I saw, what truly great looked like and in, in, in bringing a, a spirit into a room. Well, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's listening somehow and, and smiling from, from up there. And, you know, word choice is interesting. And when you described the first time you did it, you said, I appeared to not be afraid, which leads me to believe you were afraid. How did you find the courage? Do you have any tips, tricks for people uh, who are, this is a thing. I think this is like, other than death, it's like public speaking is the number one fear people have. Is it just about like, you will be nervous. I've been in these situations. You're nervous as hell the first few times, but it's getting up there and, and doing it anyway. How do you appear not afraid until it becomes the fear goes away? Yeah, I, uh, my God, when I got up on the Saster stage just a month ago, I was a mess the three days. I hadn't been up in front of a large audience in three or four years. So I don't know that it ever goes away, uh, that nervousness, um, that trepidation. Um, I think the more you do it, um, whether it gets easier or not is, is up to you. But if you have something you want to say and you think uh, other people want to hear it, I think I think you just have to. I know for me, it's helped expand my horizon, my network. And I, I do. Today, I feel like I have something to give. And I don't want it all bottled up. I write about it. I speak about it. Um, we're doing it right now. I want people to at least listen to my story. And if there's, uh, you know, my number one thing when I talk to college grads or high school grad, grad graduates, which I get in front of from time to time, is you can't be afraid to ask for help. You can't be afraid to ask for a referral. You can't be afraid to ask for a recommendation. Or, uh, and that's the number one thing. And I don't think that ever goes away. People that are think that they can do it all on their own, well, I'm not gonna use my network because I wanna show people that I can do it by myself. 
okay, great, but it might take you longer. And I don't think there's any shame in asking people in your network or people that you want to be in front of uh, for their help. And I think the people that get over that initial fear uh, and aren't afraid to get up or get out or ask will find that it's helpful to them. And then they, the next time they do, it's just a little bit easier. Yeah. That asking can become a superpower. And then you also, you know, which is the stage you're at, learn when that shifts and you go from asking to, to giving. And I think you've done that incredibly well. So really quick story, Scott, my first day when I got out of onboarding training and I got my gas card and I had my folder of Xerox copier fax and typewriter slicks, and I was going out into my territory in Southern California, I got out of my car and I found a big, nice building that had at least 20 offices. And I was starting to walk across the street and I literally forgot everything that I'd been taught. And I, I, I froze. I literally walked back, got in my car, drove home and went to bed. It was like 10 o'clock. And I was so ashamed of myself for not having the courage. And I'll, I'll never forget it. And, and again, I drove an hour and a half to get into my territory. And then I drove right back home. And I'll never forget the next day. I'm like, I have to do this. And I didn't tell anyone. I was, I was, I I was ashamed. I, I was scared. But the next day, I made it across the street. I made it into the building. I, you know, I may have gotten a chance to get to 10 offices and maybe I got one office manager to give me five minutes uh, to hand over a product select for the Xerox 5052. But, you know, from there, um, it just got easier. But I'll never forget my first day on the job, I ran away and I ran home and I wanted my mommy to give me a hot chocolate because I was, um, and then, and then, of course, you know, the next day it was fine. But I don't think that 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 fear and if that fear ends up driving you again, I must have been through my Sastra presentation, you know, 250 times because I was nervous and it drove me to want to um, be better. And I don't know how it, it came off, but I felt uh, a thrill uh, getting off the stage because I had a chance to tell my story um, and I got some positive feedback at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic, fantastic presentation. Yeah. I mean, it, thanks for highlighting that story. I think it's a great one to sneak in. It's like the regret or the shame can feel more powerful than the fear. And um, so you, you learn like, all right, this is coming anyway. Might as well just get, get past this. Um, all right. As we wrap up, there is a quick section. And we'll keep this one brief, uh, but a quick section where the audience can actually ask questions. I think this one's perfect for you. And it's from an early stage founder. BDRs typically have very little experience when you're hiring them. How do you determine whether or not they have what it takes to succeed? And then there's a caveat, particularly when you don't have a full process stood up. Yeah. So again, if we go back to I hire, not exclusively for, but fire in the belly is a big aspect. Again, I'm not looking for people that have been former SDRs, right? A former SDR wants to go off and be an account executive. So I'm looking for career changers and people coming out of school that want to be trained. And that's really what I'm looking for is, can I throw you 
in the deep end and have you find your way um, uh, to the surface. If I can find that person, I know that I can onboard, enable, and train them with a series of motions and best practices with playbooks and, and, and teach them. Um, but that kind of fire in the belly, I can see from a, a LinkedIn profile from someone that is, is just about to graduate, whether or not they have it. And I can tell because in every summer that they were in college or in the summers leading up to um, or in the years leading up to you getting in front of me, you've actually proven and shown that you have learned, that you have uh, grinded. Um, again, someone who is a senior in college, when I go to their LinkedIn profile and they have nothing to show for their college summers, that tells me what were they doing? Were they just at home sitting on the couch? Um, were they just going out with their friends? It's the people that, and I don't care if you're scooping ice cream or you're a leader at a day camp, or you actually got an internship at, at Outreach. Um, anything is great as long as you're doing something, right? When you're 18 and become an adult, I want you to start making decisions as an adult and to try to differentiate yourself and put yourself into position for a job, maybe at Snowflake or at, at, at any technology company. And you can set yourself apart by doing different things uh, leading up to, um, you know, uh, putting your name in the hat for your first technology job. And I think internships are wonderful. I've, you know, I've had people who have put on their LinkedIn profiles caring for their aging grandparents. That's a noble, unbelievably cool thing that they did. And they were proud enough to put it on their profile. Again, I use the term scooping ice cream because I would much rather have someone out there, you know, in front of people and getting up and going into a routine because that's what you're going to be doing for me. But if you have very little or nothing to show for, um, you're probably not going to get in, in, in front of me. And so uh, that kind of self-motivator, self-starter mentality, I think, is I think it comes from upbringing and I think it comes from peer group. I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah. I think it's a great, great answer and great rubric and things to look out for when you're hiring at the, the early stage. Um, all right. One last question for you, my man. This is intentionally vague, so you can take it whatever way you want. Uh, in one or two sentences, how would you summarize your career learnings and what would you want to impart to the listeners if you were to summarize it all. Don't be afraid to ask for anything is the one sentence I would say that's probably gotten me um, the furthest. And the second one is anytime I was ever handed a task or anything to do execute on, I made sure that I understood what they were looking for and in what time frame. And I just made sure that I did it inside of the time frame that they expected and with higher quality than they expected. And doing that, right, if you deliver on something before it's expected and at a higher quality, you will turn heads and people will want you on their team. And those two things are what have gotten me. The only interview that I've ever actually been on in my career, my 37-year career, was the one at UC Santa Barbara Career Center with Xerox and IBM. Every other company I've ever joined, I got pulled in because someone wanted me to work with them. 
and a lot of that had to do with my first job in tech was building my first outbound SDR team. And uh, when the bubble burst uh, in the early 2000s, all the executives at that company, Portal Software, scattered to the wind. All eight of them, literally all eight C-level executives called me and said, Lars, I'm going here. I want you to come with me. And they said that because when they reflected back on the growth that we had, in their minds, a lot of it came from the pipeline that was generated from the outbound SDR team that I built. And they recognized that our rise from seed to A, B, C, D, and into a public company was very much on the on the backs of the pipeline that the SDR team created. And it created the predictability that allowed them to make the decisions that they did. And they're like, I want that guy on my team. And so, you know, I've been blessed certainly by having uh, the successes and making the choices, but I don't know that I made the choices to go to certain places as long as I got lured and, you know, um, it's what happened. Uh, I was happily, you know, out there running my own consultancy, which is what you do at the end of your career when uh, the leadership at Snowflake reached out and asked me to come in and help them, you know, scale this. Um, and it was obviously at the time, uh, two and a half years ago, a couple of months before the IPO, everyone knew who this company was and what they were going to do. And it was an opportunity to take everything I've learned in my career and drop it and leave it all on this field. Um, and that's what I'm doing. Um, and uh, if you want to be a part of it, um, you know, come after me, um, come after my team, come after my company. And you're having fun during it all, which is the best part. Come after Lars, someone you most definitely want to work with and for. Well, Lars, you described your energy earlier as, you know, trying to leave someone with a memory of thanks. And I want to just thank you uh, for your time today, for your friendship, for all you've done for our industry, Pave the Path. Um, always fun catching up with you. I just uh, appreciate you immensely, my friend, and, and thanks for the time. Uh, appreciate you too uh, as well, Scott. And I look forward to many more rides out, out on the bay. And to all those listeners, listening is one thing. Execution is everything. Get out there. Take some of these lessons. Grow your business and go grow your personal impact. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.